right. You guys look fantastic this morning. You're alive, right? You're awake. You're ready to listen to the Word of God, right? Okay. All right. I want to start today with one of my proudest accomplishments, okay? I'm going to share a story with you. It was the winter of 1991. I was on the campus of my alma mater, Wheaton College, which is in Chicago, well into my junior year there. As with colleges, there are traditions, right? At Wheaton, it was the bench. The bench was a big concrete slab that used to be a functioning bench. In 1912, the graduating class gave it as a gift, and it was placed on campus with one rule. Only seniors are allowed to sit on the bench. In 1948, the junior class thought that was a stupid rule, and so they stole the 800-pound bench, and so a tradition began. And it soon became the goal of every class to obtain and maintain possession of this bench. It was an intense tradition. I myself endured many car chases through the city of Wheaton in pursuit of this bench. Now, over time, specific rules emerged about the bench, the main one being that the class that had the bench had to show it publicly. And when this public showing would happen, there would be mayhem, people dropping what they were doing to go pursue and chase this bench. And classes through the year got more creative in their, in their public showings of the bench. One class even had a helicopter fly over a football game with the bench dangling below it. <laughs> now to my class's contribution. My junior year, miraculously, there I am, we got the bench, okay? Junior year, this is, this is unusual. And here it is in my room. You can see what it had become over the years, the iron That's me holding the iron sticking out of it. And so we planned a mission to show the bench because we wanted to leave our mark as a class. Now, here's what we did. We heard that Billy Graham was coming on campus. Billy Graham, for those of you who don't know, okay, was an evangelist who preached the gospel to literally millions of people. Billy Graham attended Wheaton College as a student. He was a legend on the campus, and he was coming back in town for a board meeting. I think it was the only time I remember him being there in the four years that I was there. And so a mission was hatched with about 15 guys from the junior class. The plan, to take the bench and to publicly show it outside the dining hall and get a picture with Billy Graham as he came out. That was the plan. Now, the mission would have to be precise, and it was not easy. There were no cell phones, okay, or running water. This is the dark ages. (laughs) It would require at least five guys to carry the bench, football players, of course. This thing was heavy. Uh, Several people on lookout, a driver to bring the bench as close as possible to location, a communicator inside the dining hall to let someone know that Billy Graham was coming outside, a series of messengers to get the message to the car, defenders to protect the bench to get it to this next location, someone to take a picture, and of course, someone to explain to Billy Graham what the heck was going on and why a bunch of students were frantically running at him with something large covered with a sheet. (laughs) This could not happen today. It could not happen. And so we prepped, and the time came. And carefully and precisely, a car pulled up that afternoon and waited for the signal. The sign came from the lookout inside, and Billy Graham and a group of suits, including the president of our university, were on their way out. The signal was passed on down, down a chain. About 50 yards away, it was received, and the trunk of the car flung open, and a large group of guys carrying the bench, covered by a sheet, ran uphill toward the dining hall. They were surrounded by defenders. The group arrived just 
as Billy Graham and company came out of the dining hall. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And someone pulled him aside and explained exactly what was happening. He smiled, of course. He knew about the bench. We quickly uncovered it, and the photographer was already in place. And with incredible coordination, we completed the mission, and we got the heck out of there. And I even got to shake Billy Graham's hand, which is cool. And here we are celebrating our great achievement that has been mentioned in the archival history of Wheaton College. And there you can see Billy Graham in the suit there. And there I am right by the number 92, just to the right of it, celebrating my proudest accomplishment in life. Great memories. These are things people do at a Christian college, okay? (laughs) That's how we have fun. Well, let's talk about mission, because each person on that mission played an important role. There was no one person that was more important. Everyone was needed. And though our roles were not the same together, we moved and accomplished the mission. We could not have finished the mission without everyone. What about our mission? What about our mission here? What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to function together towards the mission of the church? These are important questions we're going to ask today as we move into section four of Adventum. Having a ready hand. If you're new today, welcome. I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. This, this body of Christ followers here has been on a 90-day spiritual journey called Adventum. And Adventum, we've said it before, it means arrival or adventure in Latin. And we are, we're rediscovering what it means to be his disciples his followers, and what it means for us to be the church. Today, we talk about how God has put the church together, how he's assembled it, and his desire that we be a body that is hands-on and ready to do mission together. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or find it on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you're, as you're looking that up, to set this up and listen to this, Paul is writing to a group of Christ followers in Corinth here, in the city of Corinth. And in chapter 12, he explains that Christ followers have been given unique, special, spiritual abilities, gifts. And at least one of these gifts, and you can see a list of them here, are placed in every believer by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to continue by explaining how God designed these Christ followers, these believers in Corinth, each with spiritual gifts to work and to do mission together. And he does it by comparing it to how the human body functions together. So we're going to start 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And here's what Paul writes to those group of Christ followers. For just as the body, and he's referring to the physical body here, our bodies, just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. You've likely heard the phrase, the body of Christ, that we, the church, are the body of Christ. This is one of the places that phrase comes from, because the church is not a building. The church is not a building. It is an active, living entity made up of spirit-filled and spirit gifted Christ followers who are on mission. It's not a country club where you come and take. It's not 
a social club where you just find people who agree with you and you like to live with and exist together. It's different. It's a living body with a mission. And, and just as our physical bodies have lots of parts to them, right? Arms, legs, veins, hands, feet, eyes, so on. The body of Christ, the church, has members. That's you and I, each outfitted with spiritually charged gifts, abilities, talents, made to be used in the body, not to sit idle. And also, just as the parts of our physical bodies have a unique connection together, right, to bring life and to bring health to the body, we as members of Christ's body, his church, have a unique connection to each other. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You notice the word, the recurring word in there? Emphasis, one. For in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized, we were placed into, we, we were identified into one body. Don't think water baptism when you see baptism here. Now, John the Baptist did say, right, in Matthew, he said, I come to baptize you with water, but he's going to come, Jesus, to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And from the moment From the moment we trust in Christ, from the moment of salvation, we are given the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us, which we share with all Christ followers. And we share, as this verse says, we drink from the same cup, the same Spirit. What a a visual that is. The Spirit dwells in us, but we drink from the same Spirit together. And this Spirit, listen to this, this is immediately places us into and supernaturally connects us with others, with others who are Christ-spirit-filled followers into one body. That's how close, that's how intimate our connection is with each other, even though we're different, right? I mean, look around the room, right? We're very different, even in our appearance. And it's as if Paul realized what the church in Corinth and even us as we read this might be thinking when he emphasizes oneness. But what about our differences? What about that? And so he addresses it. He says, listen, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you're slave, whether you're free, whether you're from Grove City, whether you're from Hilliard, from Worthington, whether you make this much money or this much money, we're one. We drink from the same spirit. And so our differences don't keep us from what we share in together. They're secondary to that. And this is one of those moments where you step back and you ask a question. When it comes to my brothers and sisters in Christ, do I look at them as brothers and sisters in Christ first, or do I elevate our differences above that? Something to think about. But we are are mysteriously and we're miraculously linked to each other. And Paul affirms, he expands on this in Romans 12 when he says, for as in one body we have many members, right, the physical body again, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and listen to this, individually members of one another. Individually members of one another. Please let that sink in. What? 
That's profound. We don't just read over that. We're connected to each other. I want to ask you, do you see yourself in this body as an individual member of someone else? I think, I think it's easy, right, to say we're individual members, right? We're just a member here. We're a part of it. But individual members of one another, that is profound. And wh- what does that mean? Well, you think about the human body and how it's connected together, right? We take our, our, our hand even, we've got our wrist, and we've got our hand and our fingers, and those are not just separate parts, right, that are just plopped on to the end, right, individual. They, they flow. They are connected to each other. That's the illustration for how we're to be connected. We are spiritually connected in Christ like that. We drink from the same Spirit who leads us all individually to carry out our function. But how does it change when we live out our function as an individual member of one another. Something to think about. Well, we go back a little earlier in, in, to verse 11, and we read this. Paul is talking about gifts in verse 11. He's going to go back, and, and he says this about gifts. All these gifts that God gives are empowered by one and the same Spirit, okay, one Spirit again, who apportions to each one individually as he chooses. So the Spirit apportions. What, what an illustration there for us. What an amazing picture. The Spirit hands out gifts. He gives us gifts. Zach, you've been given a gift. Armando, a gift. Brock, it's your gift. Chris, you've got a gift. The Spirit gives it. Jim, gift. Brenda, you've got a gift. You've got gifts, all of us. The Spirit gives us gifts. He's given us each a role to play in this body. And, and it's, it's not only that he's given us gifts, it's that he's uniquely wired us as well. So our fingerprint in this body is unlike anybody who's gone before. You have a role here to play that is unlike anybody's ever contributed to this body because of how he's wired you and the gifts he's given you. So we each have a role. We each have a function. We are individually members of one another. And the, the, the accurate picture of, of the church here is one in which every Christ follower has an oar. They have an oar. They have a role. They have a function. But they don't just have the role, the function. They use it. And they row connected toward the mission together. That is, is the accurate picture of what the church is supposed to be. That's what's assumed when we read 1 Corinthians 12. There weren't words for just being a spectator. If you were in, you were in. By nature, the church was defined as people who were hands-on for the mission to bring health and life to this body. So we've got to come back and keep working towards the accurate picture of what the church is supposed to be. And we need a renewing of our mind because we together are on mission. We're not an institution. We're together on mission. You know, when I was a worship leader, I, I used to, we used to teach new songs like we learned this morning, and the vocal team will tell you this. I mean, down to the notes, we'd, we'd learn the syllables of the song. We'd teach the song. We'd get it just perfect, and we'd teach it here, and, and we'd sing it over a period of time, and we'd, it'd be a couple months, 
And then I'd go back and I'd listen to the song again. I'd be like, oh my gosh, we don't, we're not even singing at all like that anymore. We completely changed the melody of the song. And the reason that happens is because it's natural to us as humans to make things easier, right, for ourselves. So even vocally, when we're singing, if a note is difficult, we kind of change it. We might just cut it and not make it two syllables. We might just make it one. And it's completely different. I think we've done that with the church over time and what the mission of the church is. We've we've got to come back to the melody and sing the original melody of what the church is supposed to be. And I found this helpful. This isn't mine, but I want to share it with you. It refers to um, the institutional model of church versus the, the, the organic, or what I'd say is really the biblical model of church. Um, and we see this institutional model a lot in our country. Um, the institutional model has a view. It's a view that God uh, mainly speaks down to the staff, to the pastors, to the elders, to the leadership, and the leadership uh, passes uh, that knowledge or whatever on to the people of the church who kind of sit back and they just take it in. It's, it's an exercise of just listening and being there and, and taking it in. Now, people under the institutional model, can, they can serve, they can, they can hand out programs, they can then maybe even lead a group, but man, it is carefully watched, carefully managed. Um, also, they can be on teams, they can give financially, but they're not competent to, to teach scripture, they're not competent to counsel or, or really lead groups effectively. That's the institutional model, okay? We come back to this organic model. All right, and this model believes, this is what I believe in, the the biblical model, each member is unique and distinct. And God has raised up leadership from within the body, individuals functioning as leaders, individuals who help equip other people to lead. As it says in Ephesians 4, they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The institutional model says that, that those gifts, some of those gifts haven't been given, they're just for paid staff. The biblical model says individual members play significant roles in this body. And God enables the, the, this organic model to, to function, exist, and thrive as, as he apportions as each person uses their gifts. Two very different models, very different models. But some of us, and this is the challenge here, some of us want to keep changing the melody. We want to keep taking it back to the institutional model. Why? Why do we want to do that? Because it's easier, right? I mean, it's easier. We're all busy, aren't we? We've got lives. We've got so many things going on in our life. There's activities to go to, and it's easy just to change the model and say, well, I think I'd rather, it's going to be easier for me if someone else does the, the work. I'll give more. I'll, I'll do other things. And that's kind of our, our perspective. That's, that's what we do. We change the melody. And in the institutional model, we, we try, then it, it morphs into trying to be like other places and trying to mimic each other, the institutions, Right? Try to package what works at one church or at another church. And we got to step back and say, we look around this room, every person in this room is unique and distinct. And I believe that God has every body of believers 
has a uniqueness and a distinctiveness to us to it as he calls those people, as he apportions gifts in that body to carry out its work. And so we, LCC, as a church, together, we are the church. We set our sights on what God has called us to be, and we take what he's provided here, which he says is all we need, and we do it, and we get better as we do it. I, I, I am so encouraged by so many of you who have found that place where you're roaming. You've found that place where God has gifted you and you're serving and you're making impact on the mission for the kingdom. It's amazing. We're all supposed to be rowing together and we're gonna, as a church, continue to push towards that organic model, decentralized, each person using their gifts. It's messy. It can be messy. It is a battle because of the melody is constantly trying to be changed. Now, Paul is going to continue to talk about in 1 Corinthians here about what it means to be individually members of one another. And this is what he says in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. You see, Paul is trying to get get through to them here that each part of the body is important as a, a part of the mission, whether you realize it or not. And this is where jealousy, right, can come in. <laughs> I want to be an eye. Why can't I be an eye? I want to be an ear. Look at the attention that the ear is getting or the nose. Why can't I be like that? God, why didn't you make me like that? I feel like I should be like that. And Paul addresses, he confronts this in Corinth. He says, listen, you've got something to offer that this body cannot do without. There's no tool that God's given. It's not intended to be used. And just because you think your role is not important, it doesn't mean that it's not. So we step back, right, and we ask those questions. Do we struggle with our role here, what we're doing? And we ask, why? Why? Could it be that we're not rowing? Or could it be that we uh, don't view ourselves the way God views us? Or could it be possibly something else? Could it be that we just want others to like us or want some unhealthy role where we'll get approval from people. Paul keeps going. He says, this is funny. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, listen to this, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. Each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So God puts this together. God arranges it. Let's take this to the logical conclusion, right? What if everybody in this room, their gift was drumming? We were all drummers. What would our worship look like? What if on a football team, it was all quarterbacks playing every position? What would it look like? What if at cell group, everyone was a teacher? That would be a long cell group. What if 
There was no gift of encouragement, no gift of serving or caring. Or what if there was no gift of, of hospitality? We wouldn't even have group then, right? Because nobody would want to have the group in their home. So God has arranged sovereignly in mixing the body of Christ. And again, we, we might challenge, we hear these things around here. I'm, I'm not in the right church. I need more eye. I need to have more ear. I'll get involved once you kind of address this issue of, of not having enough nose over here. Then I'll jump in with you. And now we're moving from jealousy to a, a perspective where our self is the center and what we receive is the center of why we exist in the church. I don't want to ask you and step back and say, is this an issue for you? Are you expecting this place to look a certain way, a way that maybe centers around your life and what you'd like to see happen? Paul continues, he goes, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, we're individually connected members of one another. On the contrary, stick with me here. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body, we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on unpresentable parts, we treat with greater modesty, which our presentable parts don't require. But God, listen to this, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in our body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's a lot in here. Let's just unpack it briefly, okay? With our physical bodies, each part, each part is indispensable. There are parts of our bodies that are presentable, that are recognizable, right? Our face, our hands, our voice, and there are parts that are less presentable, less recognizable, even unpresentable. We cover them up, right, with our clothes. We often think of the importance of these other things, and how they contribute, but a lot of times we forget. But they are indispensable, right? I'd rather lose an eye than lose my stomach, for instance. But with the body of Christ, God has put it together in such a way that those parts, those members that we think are less presentable, less recognizable, he gives, he gives greater honor to that. He pays special attention to it. Hear that. And knowing that God exalts those who are less presentable, less recognizable in our eyes, and I think this ranges from, from people who cannot give as much or serve as much because of their health or their age, to those who have special needs, to those who are socially maybe awkward, to those who, who live in roles behind the scenes. Knowing that God exalts these is meant to bring us unity and a lack of division among us and to bring us back to the idea that we are individually connected members of one another. And there's a principle here. There's a principle here we've got we've to really move towards in our individualistic culture too. 
No one, no one is left out in the church. No one is left out. Those we may see as as weaker or less recognizable, God calls us to love and to serve those people. And he tells us, listen, for your transformation, they are indispensable in your life. For the mission of the church to be carried out, they are indispensable. Oh, you may think they're not. Oh, they are. You know, we had a, a, a when I was at my a church in Chicago right after college, we had a lady who, who was in her 80s, couldn't hardly get up. Uh, she, she couldn't come to church. She couldn't be in groups or anything like that. And once a week, what she would do is she, somebody would bring her the programs, the church, and she would fold them every week, every week. She was an indispensable part of our body. And God lifted her up, gives greater honor. So we're to care for people. And there is an interconnectedness here. When one person suffers, did you hear that? When one person suffers, all suffer. When one person suffers, we don't ship them off to a caring ministry that we've created, okay? When one person suffers, we all feel it. We suffer together. When one person rejoices, we rejoice together. You're connected. So we're supposed to love those who God places in our lives. No matter how weird, no matter what kind of baggage they bring, we're called to love. There's just a a ton more we can process in this, and hopefully in your groups this week you can process some more. But for the last part of the service, we're going to be out in the lobby uh, doing, we're going to have a ministry fair together where you can kind of discover some places around here where you might be able to, to use your gifts. And that's part of this here, is for us to discover. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we asked everybody in this body to take that shape test. A lot of you did that, and it kind of reveals, it helps you discover what your gifts are. Um, for the sake of your brother and sister in this room who you are individually connected with, you've got a responsibility to discover your gift, to develop it, and to use it here to row on the mission together. Now, we've said it around here before. We've got a couple wings as a church. We have a a large group, Sunday wing. We've got a a small group, our cell group wing. I I think every one of us should be rowing in both of these areas in some way, using our gifts. Um, Even our elders do this. We we are Uh, hands-on. We don't just, we're not an institution. And there's gotta be a post for you to man because God says it so. He says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You're a part of that. You've been entrusted with gifts. We're meant to use them. And just a real quick word to, uh, just want to say this, to those who, who might come from other places, who might uh, lead off with um, some suggestions about how this body is supposed to be, that maybe you should offer this program, or at this church they did it way better, or if you changed this one thing, we'd participate more. Listen, thank you for your advice. We're going to thank you, we're going to smile, and we're going to keep rowing because there's too much to do around here.
there's too much than to accommodate people who are critics or consumers who are just here to get to take and not give. A word of those to you uh, to those of you who have come from like abusive church situations where the gift that you were perhaps wanted to use was abused or you were taken advantage of in some way, I'm sorry that that happened. And please come heal. Many have found healing here in this place from those type of situations. Come, heal, spend time. But eventually, you're going to be handed an oar. You're going to maybe ask, what am I supposed to do with this? And we're going to say, start rowing. Because God's given you something this body needs. If you don't know where your place is, uh, find a place. Just start rowing. And God, or maybe even over time, will show you. How can a group of people, how can a small group of people like the church in Thessalonica have such great impact, even more than, than huge places? It's not because it's special. It's not because there's a particular gift or a part that's, that's highlighted, like a nose or an ear. It's because it's amazing how far you can travel when every oar is in the water and we're moving together on mission. So I'm going to dismiss you in just a second. Here's, here's what we're going to do. When you walk out, you're going to get one of these sheets, and it's going to have a place for your name, a place for a, a contact info, and then here's, here's some places that I'm interested in. And we invite you to go out. There are going to be people who are part of the ministries of this church that you can kind of go out and explore. Uh, you can turn these in. There's a place to turn them in out there as well. We'd love to hear what, how you're gifted and where you might see yourself here. And over the next several months, probably six months, we're going to work through and do a new wave of, of getting us together, rowing together in the same place. Um, there's also, we want to let you know, there's a dream table out there. Uh, and that's not for you to say, well, this other church did this, and I think we should do it. It's how has God wired you up? What has God laid on your heart and your giftings that you feel like, I could possibly do this at here at LCC? Monica will be out there to talk to you with that. Um, finally, just before I dismiss you, uh, our kids program is going to end at 11.15. We've got a specific program. Please don't get your kids until 11.15. They'll come out. It'll be disruptive to them. Take the next... 15 minutes just to go out and mill in the lobby, get to know some of the areas, okay? Let me pray for us real quick, and then I'll dismiss you there. Holy Spirit, God, you've uh, portioned gifts to us. Um, we want to we live out what you've given us. We ask even now that you'd show us, whether it's today or in the next season, show us how we can build this body up, uh, place it on our hearts, lead us by your Spirit. God, make us one together members of one another. We thank you in your name. Amen.